All right. You, if you want to speak and be heard, you've got to turn the thing on, don't you? Simple things in life. Computer has a problem, see if it's plugged in. If the mic has a problem, see if it's turned on. And if you have a problem in life, just open the Word and God takes care of it. Plug into the power there, right? Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 20, where we were the other day, and I want to continue there. And uh, as we do that, I would just like to start again reading and read from verse 17 of Acts chapter 20 down through uh, verse uh, 24. Uh, tonight, we're going to cover just those verses in uh, 22 uh, through 24. And we'll be looking here at the uh, text as Paul is talking about the spiritual life of a servant of God, the spiritual life of church leaders. As I mentioned last night, it's the type of life all of us should be striving for, all of us should be living. Acts chapter 20, beginning of verse 17. From Miletus, he, meaning Paul, sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this text this evening, we continue in this wonderful address that Paul gives to the elders from Ephesus. Cause our minds to be clear of all other things that might distract us. Help our minds and hearts to focus upon your word. Help us to listen well to your word and to understand it. But more than that, Lord, how we pray that you will make each one of us not just hearers of your word, not just preachers or teachers of your word, but doers of the word, lest we deceive ourselves. We pray this, Lord, expecting you to give us what each one of us needs tonight to be better servants of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, Last night, we talked about the manner of life that Paul described for the servants of God, for leaders in the church. And we saw from that that they had to be open and blameless in their lives. 
that they had to be those who were humble, who were sympathetic, people of compassion, and also steadfast in trials. And we noted they must also be those who do not experience timidity or allow fear to prevent them from teaching the Word of God publicly and privately as well as speaking and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thanks, Clayton. If any of you want copy, uh, copies of the notes, please raise your hand. He'll get them to you. He has a few copies there. Uh, John needs one over here. Sorry about that. I was, Clayton told me to announce that before I got started, and I failed to do so. Sometimes I get so focused. I don't know if you have this happen, Pastor Paul. Right? Never, right? You're so focused and so excited about the word that you forget about all those practical things that you're supposed to remember. <laughs> all right? Thank you. Thank you, Clayton. So that's what we covered last night. And tonight we want to talk about the spiritual life. You say, well, what's the difference between the manner of living and those things we talked about being open and blameless, being uh, humble and, and being sympathetic and, and being steadfast? Isn't that spiritual? Of course it is. It's part of spirituality. But what I want to focus on here is not our character, but how we relate to God with our lives. Not what we do for God in preaching and evangelizing, but what is our relationship to God and how do we face life and ministry in that relationship? And that's what Paul addresses now as he's talking about it. This is his personal testimony. This is a man of God, and this is taking place about 53 to 57 A.D., and uh, soon he's going to be on his way to Rome and he will eventually be slain for the cause of Christ. And he has been faithfully serving the Lord since his conversion. He has been through many, many trials. And we are seeing here toward the end of his life and after this third missionary journey, what God has done with him and to him. Because we can't serve Christ. We cannot serve the Lord unless God is in it, unless God is in us and God is working in us and changing us and molding us and growing us and maturing us all along the way, no matter how old we are, no matter how long we live, we've got to have that. So our relationship to God is super important. It's like trying to drive a car without having any gasoline in the tank. It, it just won't start. It won't run. We've got to have this. And he says something here very specific. He reveals to us that he is led by the Spirit of God. Am I led by the Spirit of God? How am I led by the Spirit of God? Can I be assured that the path I walk is by means of the Spirit? Am I walking by the Spirit? I'm walking in the Spirit. How does that occur? And this is so very important because, you see, those who are leaders in the church, those who have been led by God to serve in some capacity in the church, regardless of what it may be, 
must be led of God and they must express a spirituality without which the church cannot grow. The church will never be any more spiritual than those who are serving the Lord within the church. On our elder board at our church, at Plast Street Bible Church, we've come to the deep conviction that if we are not men of God, we cannot expect the people to be the people of God. If we do not have a personal uh, awareness of God working in and through us, we cannot expect the people within the church to experience that. Leadership must model that. Leadership must be involved in that. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, and now behold, bound by the Spirit, and I know in some, this is reading from the New American Standard Version, and there's two problems here. One is the note in the margin that says, or maybe this might be spirit with a little less. This is talking about Paul's spirit. You know, he says, now behold, bound by my spirit. No, that's not it. In fact, the way it's translated here is unfortunate because the word spirit doesn't come in relationship to being bound. It is very clearly there after I, and it is I in the spirit am going. Now, it's obviously not talking about his spirit because this is not a spirit journey. It's not a dream. It's not a mystic experience. This is a real journey. He's going to a literal place, a geographical location. He's going to Jerusalem. He's on his way there. He walked from Troas to Assos. He joined the ship in Assos. They went by Mytilene, and they landed at Miletus, the port city of Ephesus, and he called the elders down. This is not mystical things. This is reality, and he's saying, I, by the Spirit, am going. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 14, all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You and I need to realize that if we are doing, if we are serving God, if we're being obedient to His Word, and we are doing that which God places right before our faces to do and to be involved in, the Spirit is leading us. He is leading us if we're sons of God. If we're born again, in the same chapter in verse 16, he says, the Spirit of God is the one who testifies that we are the children of God. But as children of God, we are being led by the Spirit of God. We might resist that leading. We might ignore that leading. Dr. Widener used to tell me, Bill, you know what is the easiest way to serve God? Do something. I was saved at the age of 16, and I'd been driving for at least a year. And uh, he used to tell me, he says, that old Jeep of yours out there, that 1949 Willys, he said, uh, can you go anywhere in it if you don't start that motor and put your foot on the gas pedal? You have to be moving to steer it. You don't steer a car that has not the, doesn't have the engine started and doesn't have the gears engaged. You have to be moving to steer it. 
and you have to be moving for God to steer you. How do you know you're led by the Spirit of God? If you are doing His will in those situations you face day by day, and you do those things which the Word of God is teaching, and you serve in that capacity that He places right in front of you, whether it's witnessing to someone that you see day by day, whether it is recognizing that, hey, uh, there's some things that need done in the church. I walk in here and, and you, you look around and you see if there's things that can be done to help the services begin and to have things set. One of the things that as an elder at Placerita Bible Church, uh, I, I like to watch people as they come in. And we have people come and say, well, you, you know, I, I want to be used of God. I want to do something in the church. And especially it seems to always be the young seminarians, unfortunately, <laughs> who come in and they have this idea that they ought to be used in some great capacity, teaching or something. And I have young people come and say, well, will you write a reference for me? I would like to become a student at the seminary or a student at the college. Will you write a reference for me? And our response is, and we've talked about this as elders, our response is uh, no, not unless I see you doing something. Well, you'd never give me anything to do. Well, that's not the point. Do you see anything to do? I mean, when you walked in this morning, do you see that the, after the first service, there were bulletins laying all over the, of the church? Did you take it upon yourself to go and pick those up, straighten it up? If uh, there was a Sunday school class meeting and uh, they make coffee and you walk over there and the coffee pot's empty, did you go and refill it and start perking coffee again, you know? Or if you don't know how to make coffee, did you get someone and say, teach me because I want to be able to do something? You see, that's the way Dr. Widener raised me in the faith was he said, if you see something needs done, do it. And that is how you're in the will of God and that's how you're led by the Spirit of God. If you walk into the church and you see something needs done and don't do it, you're saying no to the Spirit. Paul says... I, in the Spirit, am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. Oh, there's the key, isn't it? That's the rub. We always want to know, well, is that right for me? Is it going to work out for me? Uh, am I going to have some difficulty? Is someone going to be critical? Am I going to have some affliction? We always want to know. Sorry, Barb, I've got to use you as an illustration. I love you, darling. All right? We've been married for 51 years, and God has blessed me abundantly with my wife. I married way above my head. And sometimes she reminds me of that. <laughs> she might remind me tonight that I shouldn't have used her as an illustration. But... Uh, Sometimes when we're getting ready to go someplace, she says, well, can you tell me what we're going to do? I, I want to know ahead of time. Well, it makes perfect sense if you really understand people, if you understand your wife, gentlemen. It's a good thing that you let them know. But sometimes we carry that over into our spiritual lives and say, well, I'm not going to do that unless I know something first. You've got to know, you see. I... You may say, well, but I, I've got to know if I can stand the food in that country if God's leading me there. Or I've got to know how safe it is to go in this neighborhood if I'm led by God to go there and witness to someone in a, in a hard place to serve. And, a, and a, a, after all, 
Jesus Christ, our Savior, came into the world, and where did he live and dwell and serve? In Galilee of the Gentiles, where the people dwell in deep darkness. He came to, be, he came to the deepest, darkest place in the world to serve as the light of the world. And we ought to be willing to do the same. We shouldn't be asking questions. Well, how's it going to work out? Uh, am I going to be safe? Can I do this? Can I do that? Am I going to like this? Am I going to do this? How do I make certain of this? And all those things. Just do it. It was my dear wife who reminded me on a number of occasions over these years of ministry to the Lord if you have the opportunity and you have the ability and God has put it right in front of you, why shouldn't you do it? Right? Plain common sense. That's how I got into Bible translation. It was right there. Had the opportunity. I could do it. So why do I have to ask, well, Lord, should I go or should someone else go? Uh, am I going to have a difficulty learning the language? Am I going to have a difficulty li liking the food? Frankly, that was my biggest issue that I had in my less than spiritual moment was, man, I don't know if I can take Indian food, Bangladeshi food. <laughs> we end up loving it. God was so gracious in that. Paul says, I, I am going. I'm going. I'm led by the Spirit, and I do not know what will happen to me there? That's really a humbling thought. There are times in our lives when we don't need to know what will happen to us in that which God leads us to do or where he takes us. Instead, let's leave that in his hands and let him take care of us. My wife will tell you that as we got ready to go, it's kind of a challenge, in a sense, a, a fearsome thing to think, okay, we're taking four children ages 6 to 14 to the other side of the world into a strange culture, into a Muslim nation, which my wife will tell you, she used to say, Lord, I'll go anywhere, but just not to a Muslim country. And he took us to one of the most populated Muslim countries in the world, and she ended up loving it. You know, we just have to trust God because when we had those fears and those concerns and it, it was the grandparents of our children that were concerned too. But praise the Lord, they were among those who supported us, who encouraged us and sent us out. And I really found out after I became a grandfather how much they sacrificed to send four of their grandchildren to the other side of the world. I never appreciated the depths of their sacrifice until I had grandchildren of my own. But one day in Warsaw, Indiana, there was a family, pastor, his wife. Was it four children or three children, Barb? Don't remember how many children. But uh, they were moving, and I think they were in two separate cars, and they were on Highway 30 there going through Warsaw, Indiana, and a uh, big truck ran into the vehicle, killing a number of the family. I believe three of the family were killed. 
And we realized through that that, you know what? That can happen to you here or anywhere else in the world. If we've just got to trust God, just trust him. Yes, we may be going to a dangerous place. We never knew how dangerous. Had we known how dangerous, maybe we wouldn't have gone. We were in the midst of a near civil war. We've, we've been in the middle of gunfights. We've uh, been in a city when you could smell it burning and when rioting was going on and when young men with uh, guns were shooting from the hip uh, right across the street from us, tearing up and destroying a, uh, a medical facility. Um, two boys serving in the military. I don't think either one of them have ever been directly under fire, although they've been near the front lines at times. And certainly they were in areas of danger. But I like to remind them that the only member of the family who has really served under fire with bullets going around the building in which he was preaching was their father. And that was an interesting experience. That night, seven people died, thankfully not in the church. It is amazing that we get anything done when we become so self-centered and focused on me and I have to know first. Paul says, I'm led by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. God give each one of you and God give me a spirit of being willing to go wherever God wants us to go without needing to have all the answers to all of our questions first. To be obedient. He was led by the spirit of God. The next thing we see is in verse 23. Except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. Paul is not just led by the Spirit. He is aware, even though he does not know what will happen to him, he is aware that by the Spirit of God that there are bonds and affliction that await him. If you know you're going to be persecuted, do you go anyway? If God is in it, if God is leading, if that's the ministry that he's put right before your eyes and before your life and before your hands, and you know that you can do what God wants done and that you are available, go even if you know that it might be in the face of danger. And I have to speak very humbly in this fashion tonight because in June, I'm going to India. I've been invited to go to Karachi, Pakistan. And as I went through this particular part of this message, uh, especially while we were with our Bangladeshi uh, former colleagues in uh, Michigan, and I was going back over Acts 20 again, I was convicted of something because... I may have even mentioned it to my wife that I need to call our older son, Nate, and find out uh, what's going on in Pakistan before I commit to go there to Karachi with the invitation I have. And I was reading this, and I thought, you know what? What a hypocrite. 
to come and stand and commit to preach what I'm saying to you tonight and say I've got to know first if it's safe. I'm not going to call him and ask him. I need to go. There's an invitation to go and speak in a Pakistani school, a government school, that allows Christian teachers, has at least three Christian teachers, and allows Christian doctrine to be taught in the Muslim country. And most of, because, the reason for that is because most of the children in there are children of Muslim government officials in Pakistan. And last summer in the Grand Canyon, on one of the trips I was leading, had a man from there who ministers there as one of those teachers. And he said, would you come to Karachi and teach our students about creation? I need to go. Why? I can. I have the background, the ability. I'm available. I'm going to be in India next door for at least a week, if not two weeks. Why not? Why not? But you see, every one of us goes through those struggles. This is why we need the reminding. This is why it's in the Word. Because these are real issues Paul is talking about. He's a human being just like you and I. He had his fears too, but as he grew in the Lord and became more aware, this is his example, and this is what he's telling the Ephesian elders, the leaders of the church at Ephesus. We need to go. We do not know what will happen. We do not know the bonds, the afflictions, the terrorist attacks, or whatever. And I think of some of our graduates from the Master's Seminary ser serving in places like Jordan. And flags of ISIS are flying on their block. And they remain there and serve with joy. Let's never allow fear to turn us aside from doing what God gives us the privilege of doing in serving Him. The next thing is in verse 24. Paul here in verse 22 is talking about being led by the Spirit. Verse 23 He's talking about being aware of trials to come. And in verse 24, he's talking about finishing well. He has a desire to finish well. I like the way he starts off here. But. That's the strongest possible Greek word to say but on the contrary. In my Bible, whenever I run across that word, I put a triangle over but to remind me that that's a strong one. It means on the absolute contrary. I do not consider my life of any account. Literally, I do not consider my, my life worthy of even a single word. So that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. As you get older, you become more aware of the 
the end coming to your ministry. You become more aware that you're walking a path that is not going to continue on forever. When my father passed away, just before he passed away, he visited his doctor, and the doctor said, George, you know, I, this is serious. And my dad replied, I know it's serious. And he said, well, George, I mean, it's, you're going to die. And my dad responded by saying, well, I'm counting on it. Who wants to stick around here forever? I'm ready to go home to my Savior. He died while I was in Myanmar when I got the phone call that he had passed. The students had difficulty for, at first understanding why I didn't leave immediately. And I said, because my dad's last wish was that nothing, no one would say that I need to come home immediately because God had led me to Myanmar to minister and to teach and from there to Singapore to teach for a week. And he wanted to be certain that I was able to finish that ministry before coming home for his service. He and mom were absolutely dedicated, committed to that. Made it very clear, finish the course. So when the students came and in Asia, you know, parents are very special people. And those who do not care for their parents, take care of their parents, honor their parents, are considered not worthy of following themselves. And that's, the students had a very good and honest concern. Didn't you love your father? Aren't you honoring your father? And I just explained. I said, look, I'm doing what my father's last wishes were. I am honoring him. I am staying. I'm going to finish the course because that's what he wanted. And from that time on, we had no more questions, no more problems. We finished it. And I know one day I'm going to be where my father is now in heaven. And I know not how God will take me from this earth. And I know that as I get older, I'm getting nearer and nearer. And I'd love to finish well. I have a desire to finish well. We have too many who begin well and finish poorly. I've seen it with students who graduate from the master's seminary who seem to begin well and then pretty soon they're gone, not serving the Lord. It's just, it's, it's heartbreaking. And Paul is revealing here that if we have a spiritual relationship to God, number one, we're going to be led by a spirit. We're going to do his will. Number two, we're going to accept any persecution or affliction or trial that God puts in our way as being, he, he knew that in advance. He knew that in advance. And he still leads us. Why? Because he has something to teach us through that. Life isn't always comfortable. Growing old is not for sissies. Serving the Lord is not for sissies either. It requires bold men and women, strong in faith and committed to the cause of Christ irrevocably 
regardless of a lack of knowledge of what may happen, regardless of affliction and trial that may come, that we will remain steadfast on our course, that we'll run the race, we'll finish our course, and we will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's Paul's desire. And he says, I've received this ministry from the Lord Jesus. I love that. He's saying, look, it's God who leads me by his spirit. It's God in whose protection I reside and serve. I mean, this man was stoned and left for dead on the city dump. This man suffered shipwreck. He suffered cold and heat. He suffered from robbers and, and dangers. Just read the long list in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And he continued onward. Determined not to fail his Savior because he was led by the Spirit. He was empowered by God. And he received this ministry from Jesus Christ. And therefore, it was so precious and so important. He dare not stop. That's my greatest fear in my own life. Is that I would allow something to stop me in serving Christ. I gave you in the notes there something at this point that I wanted to interject. You all know the story of Joshua and Caleb. In Numbers chapter 14, how they came to Kadesh Barnea, and Moses sent out 12 men to spy out the land of Canaan. And how what they saw there was quite exciting. I mean, they saw the fruit that giant grapevine and grape cluster that you described there for the temple so beautifully and help us to better understand John 15 there, Sam. It's a symbol of the goodness of God in the land of plenty which he promised to give to his people. And these 12 men go out and they find these things. They're just wonderful. A land of milk and honey and fruit you can't imagine. They bring one of the great clusters of grapes back with them as evidence, but they saw something else. They saw walled cities with walls high up, inhabited by giants like Goliath, the Anakim, the sons, descendants of Arba, like in Hebron. At 40 years of age, these two men, Joshua and Caleb, went out with the other 10 spies. When they came back, the 10 overruled them. They said, we can do it. Why? Because God is with us. We aren't doing it in our strength. It is God who goes with us. God will give us the victory. And the others said, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, we were like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't face them like this. And they were overruled. And because of the disobedience, because of the unbelief of the Israelites, they wandered in the wilderness for 39 more years. And when they entered the land, they prepared to divide the land according to the inheritance of the 12 tribes. And in Joshua chapter 14, we read these words, starting at verse 6. 
Then the sons of Judah drew near to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenazite said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses the man of God concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Now behold, the Lord has let let me live, just as I spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked into the wilderness, and now behold, I am 85 years old today. He's speaking because it took a number of years to conquer the land to begin with. 39 plus six more years. He said, I'm now 85. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. See, Barb, I'm not the only one who feels like a 20-year-old trapped in a 70-year-old body. He says, I'm 85 years of age, but I'm just as strong as I was in my 40s. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. Why? I don't think he's talking about his physical strength. I don't think he's, he, oh yes, he's alive and vital and bold and he is a man. And he's willing to go to war. But I don't think for a moment that he had the same capacities for physical activity he had when he was 40 at the age of 85. But that's not going to stop him. It's not going to stop him. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. It's the same thing he said before, 45 years earlier. We can do it. The Lord is in it. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day that Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me. You see, he's depending on the Lord. And you have, don't misunderstand the perhaps. He doesn't question this. The way it's stated, actually, in the Hebrew language is, is there's a note of certainty to it, not a note of doubt. The Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. In other words, he's counting on the promise of God, not only the power of God, not only the warfare of God himself, but the promise of God. He's trusting God. God said it. I, be I believe it. That says it. No way. God said it, that settles it, whether or not I believe it. So Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, until this day, because he followed the Lord God of Israel fully. That's Hebron. Look at that. Octogenarians, Joshua and Caleb, working, all their generation died in the wilderness. They are the elders of Israel. 
They are nearly alone. Moses has died. Aaron has died. They, the two 80-year-olds, are leading Israel to war in Canaan to gain the land, and the most difficult place of all is Hebron, where the, the people related to the later Goliath who comes, because he's out of that same group of the sons of Anak. He says, you young folk, you young whippersnappers, you 40-year-olds, you 30-year-olds, you 20-year-olds who are warriors in Israel, you fearful sissies. Give it to me. I'm 85 years old and God's not through with me yet and God is still at work. I'm going to obey him. Remember how Joshua spoke in chapter 24 and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was Caleb's idea too. So those of you who, like me, are you're in your 70s or you're older and in your 80s or maybe even your 90s, look, that does not prevent us from serving the Lord. We need to be good models of obedience and commitment and trusting God and believing God and committing our way to God so that we leave a good example to the young whippersnappers come along behind. The reason we have cowardice among young people with regard to the Christian faith is often because their older models are equally cowards. We ought to recognize that to our own shame. We reach retirement and we think, okay, I've made it. I've paid my dues. I'll sit back and relax. Not in the church. Those are the greatest opportunities to serve the Lord. You've got greater freedom. You don't have a schedule, a clock to punch. You can find out what there is to do for the Lord and you can do it with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might, knowing that God is in it, that God will empower you, that God will lead you. You're led by His Spirit. The ministry is given to you by your Savior, Jesus Christ, and you are available and you're capable of doing it. Do it. Too many just waste away after retirement and just sit back on our lees and enjoy life and don't get involved. It's no wonder the young people don't get involved because we're not involved. We're not showing that we take it seriously. We're not being bold. We need to dare to be different and to live like it and act like it, just like Joshua and Caleb. That is, to me, that, that is a challenge to me because in today's world, people lack commitment. And I look at Joshua and Caleb, and these were two men of God who were totally committed. As it said repeatedly in Numbers 14 and Joshua 14, they are fully committed. They are fully dedicated. They are fully invested in the work of God. And they dare to live as models to those who come along behind them. That's the Apostle Paul here. That's the spiritual life about which he speaks. A desire to finish well, which means you don't stop just because of age. You say, but you don't know my physical condition. You don't know my medical problems. 
We've got a lady serving, used to serve as a missionary, and then volunteered to serve in a mission organization, Slavic Gospel Mission. Our church supports her. She's in her mid-80s or late 80s now, maybe even 90. She has a bad back. She's had multiple surgeries. She can barely get around, but she refuses to do anything but to continue to volunteer to serve. And when she can't, when she's flat on her back in the hospital or at home because she just cannot move, she is the greatest prayer warrior in that mission. She's an unbelievable woman of God. God make me like her, that when I can no longer move to do something for God, I will be a prayer warrior. She saturates her heart with the word of God. She prays fervently to God. She's one of the, God's greatest Christian warriors I know. Paul has some tough words here in a sense, doesn't he? It's convicting, challenging. Faces us with our fears that are unreasonable and we should cast aside. Faces us with our lack of faith. Faces us with our excuses. Faces us with our lack of full commitment. Faces us with our hypocrisies. How dare I or anyone hear the word, teach the word, preach the word, and not be a doer of the word. May your heart be convicted as much as mine has been in studying this as to how it immediately impacts the immediate future of ministry that God has given me the privilege to do and be involved in. I trust this helps you. Those of you struggling now and wondering what God's will is for your life, those of you who are struggling with what can I do or how shall I do it or how do I know what God's will is, I hope this has been a help, an encouragement. And may one day, if the Lord tarries, may every single one of you, and I pray for myself too, may we each and everyone finish well. And may we dare to be different like Joshua and Caleb. May we dare to be examples, no matter who we are, where we are, how old we are, just to remain faithful. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, your apostle once again has challenged our hearts. What a privilege those Ephesian elders had to listen to this great man of God with all the years of experience, suffering, trials, afflictions that he had gone through, but to see that he's a man of God totally committed to you. And that these words spoken to the leaders of the church at Ephesus speak as strongly, as loudly, as convictingly to us today right here in this conference as at any time in the history of the church. Help us to live like Paul who said, 
be as I am a follower of Christ. You be imitators of me. Help us to be Joshua's and Caleb's, Deborah's and Hannah's and Ruth's. Help us to be people who live consistently that which you have given us in Christ. That your church might continue to grow, that the gospel might continue to spread, and that your will be done to your glory and to your glory alone, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.